You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow a side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have a woman whose side hustle grind is quite similar to my own. I respect her tremendously because she is breaking down the doors of podcasting and making waves. Her name is Joy Marie Parker, and she is a New York City-based marketing professional and the creator and co-host of Job Logs, a weekly podcast that highlights candid career conversations with young professionals around the world. Welcome to the show, Joy Marie. So fill in the rest. Tell us more about your background and your path to your current role as a marketing professional. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love what you're building here with Side Hustle Pro um, and can't wait to connect with your audience. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, absolutely. So just a little bit about me. Um, I think you touched on all of the big points. I'm currently, you know, working kind of at my dream company. It's a Fortune 100 company and experiential marketing, like you said, which is really event-based marketing um, and campaigns where you kind of bring things to life and look at the customer experience. But one thing I always like to talk about is just how turbulent of a journey it was to get here. Um, Honestly, like I kind of flunked out of design school in college. I went to the Rochester Institute of Technology and just had the toughest time in school getting through my classes, getting through um, sort of design and interactive projects. And it really took around, I would say, like eight years or so to get my undergrad degree. I was there on campus for about four or five years, but then left after a while to start working and hit the workforce. And so it really was a long journey, kind of taking online classes, figuring that out. Um, And when I moved to New York City, I knew that I wanted to be in the advertising and marketing space, but I didn't really know where to start. My undergrad degree was all about Uh, design and programming. And so I thought, naturally, let me go out and be a designer. Well, I did that. I freelanced for a bit at ad agencies and hated it. Um, (laughs) So it was just kind of, you know, like navigating, figuring things out, learning about myself, um, being honest with myself about my strengths and about my weaknesses, taking on internships, um, a lot of internships in advertising, sort of temp and contract roles to find my groove, and then eventually paying a little less attention to industries and titles and more attention to my competencies and my strengths and what I like to do and taking a risk with the job that I currently have and applying and and getting it. So that was about three years ago. And so it's definitely been, I would say, over the last 10 years or so, quite a, a turbulent journey. But I like to give that background for anyone out there that's kind of struggling with the same. Oh, thank you for giving that background, because I, I didn't know all of that, you know, in, from reading your bio and following you. Um, I can relate to that completely because I think a lot of times when we go to these job interviews and people ask you to tell you, tell me about yourself, like we think we have to give this linear picture of our journey, but no one's journey can be like that. I mean, I, I too had like the ups and downs, quitting my job or moving back home, um, 
being without out of my field for quite a few years. So yeah. I really appreciate you giving the real deal and not the yeah, absolutely. Like everything. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that all of that is a learning experience. It all builds us and strengthens us. Strengthens oh, yeah. us. So I, I definitely encourage more dialogue around oh, yeah. that journey. And so throughout this time, were you doing anything on the side? What was the first side hustle that you ever had? Yeah, so I've been, like I mentioned, I went to design school and I've been designing since I was um, probably about 12 or 13 or so. My best friend bought a domain, a website back in the movable type days. If I have any sort of web nerds on here, they'll know what I'm talking about. Um, We had live journals and dead journals and we just sort of play around with designing sites. Um, And so I did that through high school and thought, okay, so I'm great at design. Let me go to college for design. Struggled with it, like I mentioned. But during that time, I was designing kind of flyers and um, sort of party promotional materials and things like that in college. I would do all of the the Greek, the sorority and fraternity event flyers. Um, and I think I was doing them for like $30 a flyer or something ridiculous. And so <laughs> it was definitely a ton of time spent, uh, overworked and underpaid, um, which might have contributed to me hating it when I, I tried it freelance post-college. But yeah, that was kind of my first side hustle, my first pan side hustle. Oh, cool. So you hated it, right? You said you were overworked and underpaid. And I get that too. Like I love writing, but whenever I try to do it as a side hustle for money, I just, I find myself just loathing it. (laughs) Yeah. It takes all the fun out of it. So I I got to a place where I realized like, let me get back to a a space where design is a hobby. It's Mm -hmm. a tool, a really useful tool um, that I've used to build, you know, job blogs and some of my other endeavors, which we'll get into. But yeah, I don't like doing it for people. And I certainly don't like doing it when I'm underpaid. So (laughs) I don't do much of that anymore. Alrighty. So then how did the idea for job blogs come about? Yeah, so job blogs was really the evolution of a prior idea I had. Um, I've always had, you know, I told you guys I was building sites and little blogs um, when I was 12 or 13. They were mostly fan pages and didn't really have a lot of info or content on them. So it's always been pretty easy for me to just back an idea very quickly with a website. Um, And so my initial concept was something called joblessinthecity.com. Um, a website that I used to own that kind of spoke about that period of time post-college when I was freelancing and contracting. Um, And I considered myself unemployed because I, my, my goal, my definition of employment was like salaried with benefits for myself. Um, And so I was sort of temping and I was like, let me put up the site that just kind of talks about the experience of moving to New York city, you know, without a job, um, without consistent pay and kind of chronicles that. What I found was that I am a bit of a perfectionist, and so I would kind of assess every single blog post like an editor of the New York Times, and (laughs) I just would never get anything out. I had like 30 drafts sitting in my folder, and I wouldn't get anything out, so it kind of fizzled out, and it certainly fizzled out when I got my current role um, in marketing, and you know, about a year or so into the role... Um, I started to feel complacent because I'm the type of person who always needs to be doing something outside of my work. Um, I'm a huge advocate of building a life you love, not just a career you love. So it's never been enough for me to just work and get paid. Um, I need a whole list. I need holistic fulfillment. So I'd always, you know, I worked in HR um, 
I didn't really get into the details of my journey, but post-college, it was sort of freelancing, designing, and then dabbling with trying another side of advertising, which for me was human resources and diversity and inclusion. So I worked in that capacity a bit. Um, And being in that space, I would interview, um, you know, a lot of post-grads, post-college graduates, people looking to enter the advertising industry. And I learned a lot being on the interviewing side of things or um, at recruitment fairs. And I noticed a lot of things. And so I always had these thoughts floating in my mind of like, I have this passion for kind of helping young professionals. Um, I like to to be involved in movements that are about economic empowerment, because I feel like through education, you can really do anything. And it doesn't have to be college, but just learning in some capacity, you can do anything in this life. So I had all these feelings and these thoughts. um, And eventually, I was like, you know, what if I just throw up another kind of website or blog that's really around career topics for young professionals? So I bought the domain. Um, threw up a website, threw up a landing page, paid a logo designer, and it kind of evolved. It just, you know, I was talking out loud with coworkers, I think, at one point about the idea and about my interests. And um, I was like, you know, the blog really kind of prohibited me and restricted me. I was being too much of a perfectionist. What if I did like an audio show? And they were like, well, I actually happen to know someone who's an audio engineer, connected me with their audio engineer. We had a meeting. I actually did not respond to him, Adrian, for about a month or so. So he actually emailed me and nudged me and was like, hey, so about this idea we had, let's, you know, get get some time in the studio and get it off the ground. And he booked our first studio session. We went in. I um, found some guests. I was like, oh, I guess we're actually doing this. So I found some guests for that first studio session um, and, and did about three or four sessions with guests that were primarily interview based um, and then just kind of evolved from there. Like I, you know, my desire was to capture candid career conversations. So the type of dialogue that you have with a girlfriend at drinks, mm-hmm. um, the type of dialogue you have with a trusted mentor or advisor that you've gotten to know and built a relationship with over the years. I wanted to bring that to the forefront because when I was navigating the freelance and temp space, I didn't know how to get to the level that I wanted to. And that for me was full-time salaried with benefits. I didn't know how to get there. And it took a lot of networking, a lot of conversations a lot of late nights and teary eyes to kind of get to that place. And so I wanted to bring that to the forefront. So, um, you know, we can get into it, but, but the long and short of it is, is that, you know, I just started it. I basically just started and that would be my advice to everyone is just start and you'll evolve and you'll figure out how to make it better as you go. Oh man. And you know, you're preaching to the choir with that because yes, <laughs> I, I was listening to job logs before I ever even thought about starting a podcast or knew that that would be what my own blog would evolve to be. And then when it came time to do it, this is the first time in my life when I've actually just done it. Like I, I didn't take a year to start it. I like looked up some tutorials on how to, uh, what microphone to get and all this other stuff. But what about you? Like, what were some of the first steps you took in addition to linking up with Adrian and, and booking that first studio session? What other things equipment wise and, uh, long-term studio rental process did you go through? 
you know, I love that you said you just did it because I think that was the first step is just committing myself to it publicly. You know, I'm not in college anymore, so I can't throw up a site and then just let it fall to the wayside. So I felt a higher level of accountability and responsibility in telling my full-time coworkers and telling, you know, the public and my social media following that I was going to do this thing. And so I don't know if that works for everyone, but for me, that public accountability and putting it out there in a public way um, was a good way to hold myself accountable. Um, And then secondly, working with the audio engineer was huge. Working with Adrian was huge because he he's an expert in the podcasting space and has worked with um, huge, you know, brands from WNYC to others. And so he really had the knowledge in terms of what we needed to do. So he booked um, our first studio sessions. He is the expert when it comes to equipment. What I knew was that I wanted a certain quality level, um, especially tackling career topics. And I knew that my end game would be to work with brands in some capacity. Um, And so it was important for me to do it the studio route. But I would say don't let, you know, don't let anything hold you up. Um, research was key. So there was one show that was really incredibly useful as I started. It's called Your First 10K Downloads. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this, it's basically this Netflix style binge that walks you through considerations to think about when you start a podcast from marketing to how you push out the episodes to equipment and all of that. So if, if there are any people interested in starting their own indie podcast, I definitely highly recommend that. Again, it's your first 10K downloads. Is that um, I, on iTunes or? It's on, it should be everywhere. It's okay. on iTunes, Stitcher. Um, it's pretty widely available. It's Chris Cerrone and Lacey Ursioli. Oh, cool. Um, okay. I just looked at it. I, I just found it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was incredibly helpful just as a baseline. Um, You know, I listened to a lot of other shows. I listened to how people structured their dialogue and their conversations as research. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. There are tons of tutorials and um, information online. Some that pop to mind are like the podcast Answer Man, I think, is a resource. Um, but just a lot of research, but not too much research, right? Because we got to right. get started. Yeah. Um, so working with the audio engineer, Adrian, helped. Also buying the domain and the website. I paid for a logo. Um, I got that up even before the podcast episodes just to build anticipation for the show and get people familiar with the brand and our content. Um, I put up social media profiles, which is super easy to do. I started building our audience there. And I did have some audience from our Jobless in the City accounts previously. So I just kind of converted them over. Um, And then studio sessions. I took everything as seriously as I do my full-time job. So for me, that looked like scheduling guests in advance, putting things on the calendar, um, coming up with team meetings with my audio engineer. And then later when we brought Courtney in as a co-host, because we realized the tone of the show wasn't capturing that candid vibe and that conversational vibe, she agreed to come on. We started, um, things really changed from there. We started adding in the segments. We we flesh out production schedules for every single episode around a theme, around a listener insight. Um, what else we, you know, I went to a few conferences, I've been to podcast movement, I attended some virtual conferences. So, you know, a mix of research and seeing what's out there and comparing to other shows, but then also finding our own voice. Um, I, I, 
in the very beginning, I remember being in a place where I would always listen to and almost get discouraged by shows like Another Round or Call Your Girlfriend, which are some of my favorite shows. Yeah. I love them. But it would be tough to feel like we were in a similar seat creating um, similar content, just a different topic or subject matter, but not see kind of the accolades and not see the recognition. But I had to realize, you know, these are big brands with right. budgets behind them and you can't compare. So it after a while, I actually nowadays don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to very kind of fun comedy shows, but I don't listen to anything that's going to get me in the groove of comparing okay. or, um, you know, subconsciously maybe even imitating or copying I try to be very authentic to our own tone um, and our listeners so those are a few things to start oh that was very helpful I I listened to a lot of John Lee Dumas before I started like Mm -hmm. he has a podcasting podcast a podcast of course podcast but yeah it's (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned that about you know comparison and having to make sure you uh consciously avoid that trap because it is a trap Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when I look at job logs, I think of you guys ha- as a strong podcasting brand that's really blown up and, and you're making waves. And I think of you on the level of another round and call your girlfriend, even though another round, you know, will have a big podcasting engine behind them. So how are you able to get into that tier? Was it via your marketing? At what point did you start to transition into that? That's a great question. And I'd say from the very beginning, because, um, and this is one thing that if you have the resources, I am fortunate to have a job that I treat a day job as an investor into my side hustle. Um, And that's something that Lisa Nicole, Lisa Nichols, I think is her name, Steve Harvey's life coach. I met her at the Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit a number of years ago. And she said this, she said, treat your day job as an investor to your hustle. I think a lot of us, when we have side hustles, um, have this dread about our work. And, you know, we feel like we need to be entrepreneurs and quit and pursue our passion full time. But because I had the freedom and I had the the money and the resources, it was important to me from day one to have a certain level of quality, which is why I work with a logo designers, which is why I work with an audio engineer, and which is why we go to the studios. So from the very beginning, everything that we produced had a level of quality and was a caliber that a brand would be comfortable working with or partnering with. So very early in our process, we were fortunate to um, get picked up by ACAST, which is a Swedish podcasting network. Um, and a member of the team who actually was based in UK had started a list of diverse podcasts and voices that they wanted to reach out to when we were one of them. Um, and again, I think that when you create a certain level of quality and when you treat your side endeavors like you do your full time job, it makes it that much easier for people that are watching you, that are following you, who might encounter your content in ways you can't control, you know? So every single episode from the beginning is at a certain level of quality. It makes it easy for them to reach out to you and say, let's work together. And so that's a huge um, piece of advice that I would give to folks out there is just, you know, put together media kits, put together a professional looking website, make sure your brand is on point, get a logo, have a clear visual identity, have social profiles. Don't use a Gmail email address as your contact information. That's huge. You know, if you want to be treated like a business, have a business email address that ends in your domain. 
Um, those are simple ways to make it easy for people to reach out to you. And that's kind of what happened in our case to answer your question. So ACAST reached out. Um, I encountered someone from Apple via Twitter. I think I reached out to him, but he listened to the show, loved it, and featured us on iTunes a number of times. Um, and we're currently featured in Black Voices, the Black Voices sections on, on iTunes as well. Um, ACAST also came with press and so uh, a PR company. And so we do get some press coverage in the UK. But again, it's having that website and that infrastructure together to make it easy for people to promote you and reach out to you. Got it. And I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into the ACAST just for people who are approached and how do, how do people know how to structure deals. So we'll get into that in a second. But wanted to um, circle back on something you said about quality. So when you... Mm -hmm do a podcast and you have a studio that you record in, how do you structure your guest interviews? Like, do you have to work around all these different schedules to all get into the studio together? Do you do anything via phone call or Skype at all? Or is it all live in studio, even with the guests? There are a number of ways, which again, my um, audio engineer, Adrian kind of put me on to, um, there, we do we do all of those things. We have done phone calls, recorded. We've done Skype calls, depending. Like I interviewed my dad, who's based in South Sudan. So that was simply a WhatsApp call that I recorded and layered in. And the audio quality isn't as great there. But we did record the intro and outro in a studio in front of a mic. Um, you can have our audio engineers are also experts at, you know, bringing in Skype at a better quality level and recording it in the studio. Um, there's also something called a tape sync where you can have an audio engineer that's in person with the guests and in a virtual location. And then you have an audio engineer with you in the studio and they're able to sync those tracks together. Um, so there are a number of ways to do different things. And we adapt based on sort of the level of the guest. Um, if we have a higher profile guest, which we do have a couple coming down the pipeline that we're very excited about, we'll you know, we'll go out of our way to make sure we're in person in the studio or get a tape sync or something like that. Um, does that answer your question? Yes, that does. Okay. Okay. So now back to ACAST. And I remember listening to a job logs episode where you talked about reaching out to um, another uh, duo of seasoned podcasters when you were first approached just to know um, if it was a good deal to compare. I, I forget the name of that, but Oh, I was the yeah. host of Call Your Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, Amanatsu So and Ann Friedman. Amazing, amazing. They've been so responsive. I have not had the pleasure of meeting them in person, mm -hmm. um, but I am aware that they listen to the show, which is so exciting for us because um, I admire them so much. But yeah, it was, you know, I, you know, the worst someone can say to you is no, which is something I learned very early um, in college. And so I have no shame with reaching out to people. I reached out to Brittany Luce from Gimlet Media the same way mm -hmm. and just said, hey, you know, I like what you're doing. I'm interested and I want to learn more about XYZ. Would you be open to a, a conversation or call? And a lot of times people won't respond to you. A lot of times people won't get back to you. Sometimes they will. So with the ACAST deal, when they reached out to us, I didn't know anything really about, I still don't really know anything about podcasting um, <laughs> or that world or deals or anything like that. And so I took a look at who was already on their roster. I also spoke with a couple other companies um, just to compare rates and things like that in terms of percentage we get back from advertising, re advertising revenue. 
Um, and so, you know, I shared what had been presented with us to um, Aminatu and Anne, and they were kind enough to respond and basically encouraged me as a woman um, to negotiate my worth and to do some deeper digging and be competitive in, you know, what we got back to ACAST with. Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome that, you know, you could connect and reach out with people. And I love when people are so responsive. Um, and that leads me to the business of podcasting. So <laughs> I forget who said it, but I, I hear people, I've heard someone say, you know, if you're getting into podcasting to make money, then just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And um, it it is a, a more competitive time. And it, it is a time where you know, you really have to prove your stuff if you are even thinking of starting to monetize. So talk to me a little bit about how and when you started to reap the profit and rewards from your podcast as a business. Mm -hmm. And what were the first things you invested back into your business? So um, we're about, what, a year and a half. We launched our first episode in March of 2015. Um, so we're still not reaping profits. We do get, you know, we do get some cute change uh, every month from advertising revenue. Uh, did, um, from did you say cute ACAF. change? I love cute that. Cute change, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 good. It's a significant um, amount. It's yeah. more than you know I'd be making not doing anything mm -hmm. outside of work. But at this point, we're still, you know, I'm still investing more than we make, um, and that's intentionally because my goal. When I started, then I would be, you know, I'd agree with that advice about don't get into it to make money. My goal wasn't to make money with the podcast. I view job logs as a platform and I'd really love to see us grow to become sort of the millennial workforce voice in the marketplace. Um, and so to me, that message of inspiring and empowering young professionals is brought to life through a couple of different channels, the podcast being one of them. But it's also brought to life through our website, through our social media accounts, and through our newsletter. So in my mind, in the future, job blogs could grow to evolve to be in-person workshops or conferences. It could grow to evolve to be a video series. It could grow to evolve to be a number of different shows that are maybe not even hosted by Courtney and myself. So I'm, I'm really trying to build an empire. And to me, the podcast has been a way to establish our voice, get unique partnerships with brands, and also reach out with various influencers. And so I kind of see it as a stepping stone um, to reach the end game, but I do not see it as a significant revenue generator for now. Got it. And I, I tend to agree with you there. I think podcasts are a awesome an awesome way to get your voice out there and to build brand awareness, but it's not necessarily the sole revenue source that you're looking for. It's just something that helps you to to start that empire. And I too want to build an empire. So completely in the same lane with you there. Um, yeah. And in terms yeah, of- Yeah, it, it opens it up to, it opens you up to like amazing new opportunities. I yeah. mean, things that I never would have considered I'd be able to do. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten interesting requests and pitches, some of which have not come to life, including live shows, you know, including influencers that I never knew I was on their radar. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a way to get your voice out there. And, um, and it's the new resume, I think for this generation, 
you can't, it's not enough to just have a job right. and do your work. Um, I think Anne Friedman, so I, I think in an interview she did on the long form podcast, she talked about her weekly newsletter, which gets, I think it has over like 25,000 subscribers. She um, is a writer and was an editor for a number of years. And when she was out of work and let go from her company, she started to use her weekly newsletter basically as evidence of her work, of her writing. And so at a point, she didn't have to actively pitch anymore. People would pitch her. And I view any side hustle, not just podcasting, whether it's making a newsletter, you know, managing a blog, um, even just regularly posting, you know, insights and industry information on your LinkedIn timeline. Those are all ways to establish your subject matter expertise and create this ecosystem of inbound networking where opportunities start to come to you. And that's what's been happening with my experience with the podcast. Awesome. And so when you attend conferences and events and, and talk to and get to meet new people and have these new opportunities, what have you learned and what has surprised you the most about becoming a podcaster? Um, that it's a lot of work. It's a ton of work. Um, it is quite, you know, a lot to maintain outside of a day job. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> it's very rewarding. I, I think there's just nothing that can compare to somebody writing in. Um, we just got a letter the other day from someone who wrote in last December and was looking for work and said she'd been listening to our episodes and had finally found something and couldn't have done it without us. I mean, she definitely could have done it without <laughs> us and did, but it's just so um, affirming and so fulfilling to hear that. And, um, you know, it's almost, I, there are days when I don't feel like doing it. There are days when I don't feel like pushing out an episode and um, I've, I've taken on editing now to save some money um, and some other things. And, those messages and those interactions are really reaffirming and they, you know, give me the confidence to keep moving. And so that's kind of what I hadn't expected. Um, that's been really rewarding out of the experience. Um, in terms of the in-person events and conferences and things like that, I think one thing I've realized is nothing beats uh, offline interaction. So mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of us can get stuck behind our computers kind of diddling around on Instagram or refreshing every two seconds to see if we have a new like or a new email or whatever the case is. But nothing beats connecting with people in person. So don't write off conferences, don't write off trade shows, don't write off um, relevant industry networking events. I say relevant because it can be very easy to get caught up in, you know, the next mixer or happy hour to network and you can leave those without meaningful converse, uh, conversations, but relevant um, conferences where you actually take the time to network. We have business cards again and treating our side hustle like a business, hand out your cards, exchange information um, and, and be valuable to people too. I'll tell you something. A lot of the connections I made with my contact at Apple and Acast, they care a lot about diversity. And so many of our interactions aren't just me writing to say, hey, you know, like we're working on this thing. Can you promote this episode? A lot of times it's, hey, here are 10 other amazing podcasts in business, black podcasts in business that you should be listening to or should be on your radar. And that mutually beneficial exchange, I think, is why we've been successful in staying in touch with people um, for the long term, not just for a transactional benefit, like a, a one-time you know, promotion of an episode. But I'm 
constantly sort of giving back as well to the context that I'm making and meeting. Yes, that's such an important point. I mean, sometimes people think that you're going to go to conferences and just throw your card around and then leave and you've done your job, but actually, no, you haven't. And something else with conferences, it can get overwhelming for people, especially when they're on a budget to think about, oh, you know, I have to go to all these events to start building my brand. I I always say just aim for a goal of one event or conference a month. Um, Make sure it's something really valuable. I follow people who I respect. So for example, when I saw my league Teal was speaking at a conference, I was like, I'm in there. Um, so I really look at who is speaking and the, the session content and for podcast movement. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it to Chicago that weekend, but it's already on my radar for 2017, you know, because I just yeah. know it's so relevant to my business. But I love what you said about also thinking about the value you're providing it's not transactional at all and i hate when when people approach it like that well let me tell you something Mm -hmm. um so i've so far today the most beneficial in-person event i've attended has been um find spark which is sort of an internship uh program or platform based in New York City, they have something called Hustle Summit. And it's a lot of uh, employers come in and a lot of college students and recent graduates come in as well. And I signed up one year to be um, a mentor in their mentor zone. And I made so many meaningful um, interactions and connections with people. And I realized it's because those the attendees were our key demographic in terms of audience. So something else that I've learned in this journey is a lot of times I have folks that I love. Um, very early on, I was going to all the all my favorite podcasters, their events. I would go to the Another Round live shows, and um, I saw Brittany Luce a couple of times, and those were great. Those were fantastic. But I actually had to distinguish between what was beneficial to me as an individual, as a consumer of content, and what was beneficial to me in terms of connecting with my audience. And sometimes you have to decide, like, am I going to this event as a fangirl of this person? What is that, you know, what is that interaction going to do for my work, for my audience? Or am I going where my audience actually lives? Mm -hmm. So my audience isn't necessarily going to podcast movement, right? Right, right. So even though that was amazing and I learned a lot and I connected with fellow podcasters, that was probably less meaningful than that Find Spark Summit where I connected with my actual audience. That is so clutch. I'm glad you brought that up too, because you're right. You, You do have to balance what you're doing to better your business and then also connecting with people. So for example, um, Rise Empowerment Conference, that's where um, I saw my leak speaking. I consider people who listen to my leak and follow her business journey are also my audience. You know, they're people who are side hustling right now. And so right. with that, it was just a natural um, connection and a win-win for everyone, a win-win for me and also to connect with my audience. But right. when I think of some of the more technical things like podcast movement, you're right. I, I don't, I don't think that um, my listeners are necessarily there. So that's something yeah, exactly. to think about. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's a good distinction to make. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't be going to broadcast right. movement. It just means recognizing the value that yep. you're going to get out of these experiences. Yeah. And, and going in there with the mindset, understanding what this particular event is for and where it falls Absolutely. in your business plan. Um, but speaking of target audience now, how did you know where to find them and to get the word out when you first released job logs? And then what are you doing to continue to market job logs? 
Yeah. So initially, you know, we did all of the strategic exercises of who do we want our target audience to be? Who do we want to connect with? Um, For us, it was young professionals, broadly defined at the time, um, either kind of in a transitional state in their career or seeking work, because that's kind of when, um, in my experience, you're most uh, apt to want to seek out sort of professional development tools and resources. Um, And then after that, you know, we loosely defined it and, and made sure we said that explicitly everywhere. So from our social media bios to Um, Any media kits or one pagers we put together or any pitches to new guests, we would always say, you know, candid career conversations, young professionals, we reinforce that. So you get it right. But as we evolved, um, I just started to take inventory of who our actual audience was. And we don't have the data or analytics to the level or degree of precision that I'd like for the podcast. But we do have it for our social channels, our newsletter um, and our website. And, you know, right now it is heavily skewed towards women. I'd say about 70% of our our digital audience is women Um, and also a lot of African-American women. And I think that's the result of, or black, um, broadly defined black women. Um, I think that's the result of just seeing, you know, our faces and the representation of black women and also just the camaraderie and community right now at this time around um, women and careers and equal pay and negotiating and things like that. And so we lean into that and we love it. Um, We really love it. That's why we kind of call ourselves group chat girlfriends and and things like that. Um, But I'd say, you know, do the exercise of a lot of people will advise you to think of one person, you know, really what does he or she look like? Where do they read their news? What do they do on a day-to-day basis? Where do they go on the weekends? Because when you start to think about it that way, you know, you're not just creating content for young professionals, right? We said we wanted candid, right? And I told you when we initially started, it was one-to-one interviews that were longer format. um, And they were great. I love that format. But what I realized is like our target demographic isn't necessarily listening to career shows and they might be watching, you know, love and hip hop. They might be on Facebook or, you know, on world star or wherever, like they're regular people, everyday people that have interest, love TV shows, watch Game of Thrones, you know, do different things. And so let's try to connect with them where they are and then bring them to us versus trying to, you know, create our content in a silo and make it all professional and make it in a tone that doesn't really connect with these very regular, you know, young women and men that listen to the show. And so that was kind of a key insight for me too, is like really think about where your audience lives and what they like to do. And, you know, find a way to talk to them in their voice and their tone and connect with them there. And that's why I love that we have Courtney on board now. Um, The show Jawbox completely took a different direction when she came on last August. It's been about a year now uh, where we're more conversational. I give myself permission to have more fun, you know, to laugh, to mess up a little bit, leave that in because people connect with that. And depending on what your message is. Um, you may want to consider imperfection too. Like everything doesn't have to sound perfect or look perfect. You might want to show the behind the scenes and give kind of a more holistic view of yourself. Got it. Um, yeah, I definitely, you should see my, speaking of sound and perfection. So my sound booth, my studio right now is like my desk in my bedroom surrounded by mad pillows. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's how you do it. You gotta, you gotta um, absorb that sound, the yeah. echoes. <laughs> you gotta absorb that sound, guys. I will take a picture one day and share it with everyone. Um, but before we get into the lightning round, I wanted to ask you more about balancing your brand that you're building out with working a full-time job. Now, I know you mentioned um, having that conversation with your employer. Do you ever worry about conflicts of interest? And, you know, how do you see yourself scaling while still holding down a full-time job? Yeah, you know, I don't really. I'm sure there are some people at my company that would perceive my side hustle as a distraction. Um, And that's fine with me. Um, The people that matter in terms of my management, my boss, my team are all supportive. I'm fortunate to work in a small business division. And so naturally, a lot of my colleagues are entrepreneurial in spirit. It's just the nature of, I think, people who like to work with small business owners because they're so passionate um, and entrepreneurial, obviously. So fortunately, it, it hasn't been too tough. We even have an internal program at my company where Um, you can share what matters to you. And so, you know, we've brought in many of the people that I encounter now through job blogs and through the blogging world um, have actually come into the office and done different things. And so luckily I'm in an environment that, um, you know, it it accepts that and supports it. But for those who aren't, um, you know, it, it, it is tough. I would say definitely create borders and boundaries for yourself because, you know, initially it was tempting to check my social media for job blogs during the workday and things like that. Um, I now use automation tools when I'm at work for the most part. Um, We have some help too. And, um, you know, we share some of the responsibilities in terms of managing the profile. So it's not necessarily always me anymore posting and doing things like that. But, um, you know, my job pays the bills and it's an investor in my dream. So I have to treat that importantly. I can't treat it like a side chick. So I have to, (laughs) you know, so I have to create those boundaries. Um, It does mean the reality is a lot of late nights. Saturdays are, I love Saturdays because it's my like nine to five just for job logs. Like I get up early and I work the full day um, for job logs and then I go out and do weekend things. But, um, you know, we, I also use just a lot of uh, the things that I use at work. So a lot of organizational processes. Um, You should see my Google drive. It's all spreadsheets and documents and templates and all sorts of things, um, just to keep myself organized and automated where possible. But um, it's tough, you know, and I still haven't really cracked the code. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I had to accept that was huge for me this year was just to get help where I need it. And also pay people to do the things you don't have time to do. So, you know, instead of me sitting up tinkering with the website for 10 hours, like I was doing when we first started, it's, much easier for me to just pay the couple hundred dollars now and save myself the time to exert that energy into something else more meaningful. Because ultimately, what is me editing a website, you know, doing for my audience? I My time is better spent working on content or higher profile guests. So, you know, be realistic with yourself and, and step away when you need to. Make sure that you're spending time where you need to spend it. I think when you have a full-time job, it keeps you honest in that regard because, I have limited time to work on job blogs, so it has to be effective. Yeah, I am still trying to figure that out. And, I, you know, I was looking to you for the answers because. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't have them, girl. <laughs> but yeah. listen, you, we got to help each other out. You let yeah. me know when you, you figure it out. Right. I'm still it's still a work in progress. I, but I, yeah, I, I think you know. delegating and 
outsourcing where possible and automating are key. Got it. Yeah, definitely. I've been automating a lot, organizing and just keeping track of stuff via project management tools. I like Asana has been good for me and Google Drive, of course. But yeah, the, oh, nice. the hiring help part, I'm not at that stage quite yet because I just yeah. kind of feel like I want to be making. So, you know, I want to be making a regular uh, cute change <laughs> mm-hmm. from my side hustle before I really feel comfortable investing. So once I get yeah. there, I'll let you know. That makes sense. So moving right along, let's jump into the lightning round. And this is basically, you know, just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? You know, (laughs) oh, I struggled with this when you sent it to me in advance. I don't, I can't, I, there has to be something. I shared um, your first 10K downloads already. That was huge. Um, yeah, that was actually huge. Um, because I hadn't seen that before. I just saw John Lee Dumas. <laughs> I, I can't, I'm really struggling right now because I've DIYed a lot, but I'm obviously there are a ton of resources. I don't know why I'm blanking. What about number two? What's a personal habit that has helped you significantly, significantly in your business? So I treat my side hustle like my full-time hustle. And I think that is, you know, that's it. And that means to me agendas, uh, for meetings. It means, scheduling meetings. It means scheduling team calls. It means putting together production schedules for every single episode that outline our segments, that outline our direction, our themes. It means editorial calendars for our website content. It means brainstorm sessions. Um, so that that has been huge. That is definitely commendable. Um, the Saturday thing you mentioned, wow. I mean, I, I do a lot of hustling on the weekends, but the nine to five um, is not, not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will look into adopting that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And listen, you got to find what works for you. But I looked at my schedule and I was like, I am exhausted when I get home in the weeknight. So, you know, let me use my Saturdays. All right. Number three, what's the best book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Um, okay. So honestly, Bodega Boys, which is a trash podcast. It's comedy. It's wildly inappropriate. It's hosted by Jesus and Mero. And it's just so funny. They're, they're two guys from the Bronx. And, you know, it's just hilarious. Their chemistry and rapport with each other is so funny. And I mentioned that because I don't really, um, I told you guys, I don't really listen to business podcasts or anything like that anymore. Because for me, what I'm trying to do more of is, you know, get more candid. And so take improv classes, think faster on my feet, you know, be a little bit more authentic in how I connect with people. And so for me, it's it's a little unconventional, but that's been huge. And I love just listening to that and listening to, you know, their rapport and chemistry with each other and kind of taking notes from there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Not what you were expecting, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, number four, how does one break into and stand out in podcasting? Yeah. So be authentic. Um, you know, we talked a lot about inspiration, whether that's from other shows or whatever your, you know, whatever your project is that you're working on, be you. So for me as a podcaster, it meant not trying to like whitewash my voice to sound like an NPR voice, not trying to replicate other shows that I'd heard, but truly being myself and allowing my unique experiences from living abroad to, you know, 
flunking out of school, allowing that to be part of my story. Um, two, I'd say quality is always huge. You don't have to pay a lot of money or, um, you know, rent a studio or whatever the case is, but make sure the work that you put out is at a caliber and level of quality that you would be proud of that, you know, tomorrow, if an executive from your favorite company saw you, they would be impressed and want to reach out to you. And then three, tell a story, you know, storytelling is at the core of everything that we do and people respond to that. So do your research, find out how to captivate your audience and tell a story. A story has a beginning, a climax and an end. So I try to embed that and kind of incorporate that to everything that we do. Got it. And number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who are still juggling that full time, but have a side hustle? My advice is do not be apologetic in your full time hustle. Like I said, Lisa Nichols says, treat your day job like an investor in your dreams. Don't ever apologize for working a job and um, putting in that work because it's all building you and forming you for something greater. I love that so much. I need to start listening to more Lisa Nichols. Um, you are like the third person who has mentioned her name recently. So yeah, she's I, amazing. Very inspiring. Yes, that I never thought about that. You know, before that, that treating your day job like an investor in your dream. So love it. Finally, before we close, uh, what are you currently working on? You mentioned you're building an empire. So what's next for <laughs> Joy Marie and job logs? Yeah, so this year for us is really about consistency, getting out episodes on time every week um, and growing in that way. And then um, also bringing back our newsletter, which has suffered a bit. Um, and then for, I think, moving into 2017, our focus will be pushing and pitching brands. So, um, you know, just looking at some exciting brand partnerships. I'm in some early conversations and so more to come, but yeah, that's that's definitely it for 2017 and beyond. All right, exciting. And what's the best way for listeners to connect with you after this episode? Yeah, so you can find me all over the web. Um, we're at joblogs.com. I am at Hey Miss Parker, M-I-S-S-P-A-R-K-E-R-R, all over social media, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and you can shoot me a note anytime at hi at joblogs.com. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today, Joy Marie. It was very beneficial, especially as a fellow podcaster. Um, we loved having you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you like the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And if you want to hear more from me, you can find me online at SideHustlePro.co and on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SideHustlePro. Talk to you next week.